0: Welcome to Artificially Intelligent Marketing, a weekly podcast where we stay on top of the latest trends, tips, and tools in the world of marketing AI, helping you get the best results from your marketing efforts. Now let's join our hosts, Paul Avery and Martin Broadhurst. Hello, listeners. Welcome to episode 37 of Artificially Intelligent Marketing. It's Paul Avery here, joined as always by the fantabulous Martin Broadhurst, Martino, how are you today, my friend? Uh, I'm living my best Friday uh,
1: with elves in the background for those who are watching the video. I'm counting down to Christmas. Wouldn't normally be this Christmas prepared, uh, except having a toddler in my life these days has just brought the whole thing
0: forward a little bit. You are having a elf of a time. Cool. Oh, that one doesn't quite work. We're not going to cut it, though, listeners. We're going to make you listen to those types of joke all the way through the episode. Um, yeah, well, I'm glad you're enjoying it. I'm loving your background. Um, so much so, I'm probably going to edit my background in post so that when people see this go out, they'll be like, oh, wow, Paul made the effort on his background as well, which in real time, I hadn't. But they will never know that. I mean, they will now, but otherwise, they wouldn't have known. Um, we got some cracking stories this week, haven't we, Martin? In fact, before we get into our first story, I've got to tell you, I was at, as you know, I was at a conference last week. I was at the um, um, Samps annual US meeting in Boston, and we were talking about AI. Um, And while I was talking, I did um, a couple of short talks on different topics. And and then there was a panel. And in the panel, I slightly bashed Google. I was like, look, they're a bit, you know, they're trying to catch up. They're a bit late to the party, yada, yada, yada. I sat down, uh, and one of my good friends, um, Jeremiah Worth, Jeremiah, a little shout out to you, He um, turned to me, shook me his phone, and he went, you know that Google have just launched Gemini while you were speaking. So I am going to take personal responsibility for accelerating the release of Google Gemini by giving Google a hard time on a panel um, with 70 people in the room that they clearly had a representative at and said, uh, we need to get this out now because um, I'm fed up with the folks at Artificially Intelligent Marketing giving us all sorts of shit about it. They so, saw the, the share price dropping
1: in real time based on your comments. And so they said, release press, press release now. <laughs> yeah.
0: Oh, but it was quite funny. And it also did really serve to really highlight another point that we made again and again during the day, which is this stuff is moving lightning fast. From yeah. the, when I started my talk, my comment was fair. By the end of my talk, it wasn't fair anymore. Um, but that is that is ai you know in a nutshell and especially the applications and technologies we're seeing emerge for marketing and sales folks and business in general so um, i think an overriding feeling at the event was it's extremely hard to stay on top of all of this stuff and if you're listening to this and that's your feeling if you feel like you're drinking from a fire hose and you're completely overwhelmed i don't think anybody feels any different you are absolutely in the crew when it comes to that even nerds who spend many hours a week on this stuff like Martin and I will come together to do this podcast uh, on a Friday and between us there'll be stories that Martin's seen and I haven't and vice versa because it's just so hard to stay on top of things but that's why we give you this hour hopefully we can do at least 80% of the heavy lifting for you and with some of that heavy lifting in mind Martin why don't you tell us about the biggest story this week that google company who you said we're no good at AI
1: <laughs> they've uh Announced a GPT-4 competitor in the form of Gemini. So, Gemini is their multimodal large language model. It actually comes in three sizes: so, they've announced Nano, Throw, and uh, Ultra. Ultra is the, the big one. That's the one that is supposedly capable and, well, actually outperforming. According to benchmarks, uh, GPT-3, I think it beats it on 30 out of 32 benchmark tests. Pro is the one that they've released now. It's effectively GPT 3.5 equivalent. It's available via API and Bard. If you're not in Europe or the UK, you can actually access it if you. Uh, use a VPN which I have done I've played around with it and yeah it's it's similar to GPT 3.5 it's it's fine. Uh Ultra looks really interesting because it's multimodal in a way that I found quite interesting the way that they described it during the launch event. So Demis hasabis the CEO of DeepMind they've clearly been working closely with Google Brain and DeepMind working together now Uh, they've brought these two organizations together demis asabis said that this is a true multimodal model rather than an interface that gives the appearance of multimodality so i think what he was referencing there was if you use chat gpt gpt4 is multimodal in so much as you can input text and image but it can only output text But if you're using ChatGPT, you get the appearance of multimodality because it will output images through the model DALI, which is connected to it. And you can input voice. But again, that's actually using Whisper to transcribe it and then inputting it as text. And it can output voice. But again, that's not actually part of that same model. It's a different model. It's all connected. up. Whereas Google is saying that Gemini is truly... Multimodal. And they actually give some interesting examples of this in the demo video. For example, they have somebody speaking in Chinese, in a Chinese dialect, and asking it to translate into English. And they said this would actually not work in the current models that are on the market because. The language, the input language is tonal And that would be lost In The whisper transcription of it So you would lose Some of the nuance around um, The input of, of audio like that um, It looks really powerful the, the, the proof is in the pudding though And that's what we're all Waiting for to get our hands on it Because it isn't really available to users Ultra isn't available to users Until early 2024 so it looks very exciting however it was not launched without a little bit of controversy the launch video showed it doing certain things that seemed very impressive i must admit so the example in the video was hand-drawn images little sketches on post-it notes for instance two cars driving down a hill one of them looking like an aerodynamic car the other one like a block and it says which of these would go faster and the model responds the one on the right which is more aerodynamic and then they keep editing the pictures by drawing new bits on them and speaking to the model and it converses back and forth with them and it looks like this whole thing takes place without any text input It's just somebody speaking to the model, showing it pictures and changing the pictures and saying, what about this? What about that? And the model responding. Well, it turns out that whole segment was completely manipulated and not at all as described. The images were actually uploaded with text prompts. It was not a speech back and forth with images being shown in real time. The whole thing was... uh, was a manipulation and actually what people took umbrage with was that what the voice was saying as a kind of input prompt so what the human was supposed to have been saying didn't match what the text based prompt actually said so they gave more detail in the text in the actual text prompt that the model got so people were quite um annoyed about the manipulation there but that aside This model is very impressive on the face of it. It does have some very cool capabilities. At the other end of the scale, going from Gemini Ultra down to Gemini Nano, this is also very interesting because what they've announced here is a tiny model that you can actually run on a mobile phone without requiring any internet connection. And this is going to be rolled out to the Google Pixel 8 and the Google Pixel series in future. So I'm very excited to see the evolution of these small language models for mobile devices.
0: Yeah, there's a lot to unpack there. The the tonality thing was very interesting, and I imagined, and I would love it when people can get their hands on this, being able to speak with a bot where it's listening to your tone of voice and it can tell if you're stressed or scared or upset, right? So, like, we've talked before about the different applications of bots in the future and how um, when people like to rate uh, doctor outputs as, uh, based on how empathetic they were, a GPT-4 was rated more empathetic than real human doctors. Well, how much does that empathy increase when a model can actually understand the tone of voice, not just the text um like content of the of the information that's being presented that's pretty interesting on the we fudge this to make it look better what a shame what a shame so desperate to show they were back in the game that they just reached 10 percent too far and because we know that i think many of us are now i think many people are like all right i'm not going to reserve my judgment until i see it in action but you just lost my trust so i'm I'm personally i'm assuming it's as good as gpt4 and maybe slightly worse honestly not slightly better the other thing that's interesting is the paper they released with all of their performance on the benchmarks i do love the there's been a few things floating around on the twitters of wouldn't it be nice if we could all mark our own homework in that way um Obviously, these are like standard benchmarking processes, but there are a few little nuances that people have untangled in there in terms of the prompting techniques and the number of prompts used to get a better result for Gemini over GPT-4 that are like, again, just a little bit questionable. So I'm looking at this and thinking it's probably GPT-4 level. But what I really want to know is what applications are really going to benefit from a model that was trained multimodal first? Like that could be a bit of magic in there because it's not clear to me because now i don't trust any of the demos how that will translate into real world applications that gpt4 with all of its add-ons like vision and Dolly, can't do mm, i want to see that i don't know be fun
1: there were some other really impressive things in the demo as well in the chat interface so they showed it was a chat based you know gpt chat gpt style interface little bard call it what whatever you want where the interface changed because the model itself created new ui elements in the chat so the example it gave was somebody uploading homework with four maths questions on it and they've handwritten the responses. They've taken a photo of the paper, uploaded it, four questions in these blocks. And then the chat says, which one of these do you want to discuss? Uh, Click on the option. And it's taken the photo and put on interactive clickable elements on top of it. And then then it allows you to to interact with it in that way. Um, It also showed a demo where very similar to the co-pilot. I don't know what it is about the, the big tech companies that they love using birthday party planning as a kind of default use case for, um, for using chat LLMs. But um, they they talked about planning a birthday party for someone and trying to come up with a theme and ideas. And the chat does that, comes up with these ideas, but then brings up, it's almost like in the like when you do a Google search, and it's got the image across the top or the box of images across the top and you can scroll through it and then you've got the knowledge graph at the side. So it kind of designs in real time these different UI elements that you can interact with to say, oh, I like that idea. You've told me I could have a dinosaur theme for my kid's birthday party. Click on that and then it expands the chat in a new way and brings up more elements. So that was really interesting because that's all supposed, supposedly done in real time, on the fly, by the
0: model itself. That is interesting, because I imagine more of worlds where we speak to computers, like you and I are speaking now, and then they do stuff for us. Mostly because I've been conditioned by Star Trek to think that that's what the future looks like, probably. But also there's a an element of, that's how humans interact, so would that be the best way to interact with a synthetic human or, you know, an AI computer? But I wonder if we're seeing some hints there as to where they think their web-based experience that we currently call search might evolve into this sort of dynamic interactive tool that over time they try and find clever ways to put ads in amongst it like because you you know those generative um, overlays that you were talking about and in some areas i think one of them was like person's making a cat uh, no making a cake and they're like i want to see cat-based cakes and a bunch of them come and you can scroll through them like, what if every fourth one of those is some sort of sponsored content or an ad to buy the necessary materials to make said cake or I don't know, right? So, yeah, I think the jury's out. I I like to be last couple of weeks. I played the role of naysayer a little bit on the on the podcast, but the, but the truth is, we need a model in town that's as good as GPT four. To keep innovation flying out the door of open AI. If you're a user, if you're a tech optimist, right, because they need that pressure on them. And I think now they have it. The reason I like to bash Google a bit is they've had and continue to have some of the brightest AI minds in the world and not like they kickstarted this transformer, you know, generative pre transformer revolution. And I just, I want them to be in the game because I think they create an ecosystem that moves at speed and that good, or real that's kind of what I want. I want the ecosystem to move at speed, provided, um, you know, the Terminators don't descend on us and or we'll turn the whole universe into paperclips. Well, they're very clearly putting the
1: the heavy hitters on this because obviously Demis Hassabis is, is working on this. Sundar Pichai was very much involved, but also co-founder Sergey Brin was actually named as a contributor on the paper that they published. And I heard someone talking about they were at an event recently where he was he was there, and Bryn was speaking to some AI developers, talking to them about some of the decisions that they made with the development of this particular model. But getting really, really granular in the detail, like at a level that you'd have to be really fully immersed and all over the detail to to even know to ask that question. Um, so I think that he's he's been actually coding some of, the,
0: some of the model. Nice. Well, I think the summary here for marketers is there's a new game in town and there's going to be two parts to this game. The first part is we're going to have access to a GPT-4-like model, which has got some super skills. It's not super clear yet how we're going to leverage that. But if you think about Google Duet and these other tools that can access your emails and your files... One of the major criticisms we had of those tools, including BARD, is that the model that underpinned them just wasn't good enough to do anything interesting. It got too many stuff wrong. It was hallucinating all the time, whereas you can imagine if you're a Google Workspace company and your BARD and your Google Docs integration and your Google Sheets and your email integration is powered by um, Gemini Ultra, now we're looking at some superpowers, right? So that could be really interesting and a true... um, competitor to co So 2024 is going to be interesting for businesses and how they leverage generative AI across their software suites, especially regardless of if they're a Microsoft customer or a Google customer, they're going to have an AI model about the same level. That's what it looks like, isn't it? Um, cool. Let's talk prompt engineering. So recently Microsoft has been exploring prompt engineering and revealed some significant advancements in... The capabilities of the LLMs that we know and love, like GPT-4. Um, at the heart of this discovery was MedPrompt, which was a strategy that significantly enhanced the performance of these models for specific tasks. So for MedPrompt, it was initially developed for medical challenges, as the name probably suggests, but it's proven its versatility by achieving breaking, record-breaking scores on the MMLU benchmark, which is a test spanning diverse subjects from maths to history. So This is a series of medical challenge type prompts that are now doing well in other areas. By fine tuning the prompts given to GPT-4, researchers could steer the AI to understand and respond with greater accuracy and depth. Um, This method involves combining simple and complex queries, allowing the model to integrate multiple responses and choose the most confident answer. I know you saw this this week, Martin. What, What was most interesting to you about this story? I think some of the
1: developments around, or some of the techniques that they use in the prompt engineering to get the outputs here are really interesting. They've effectively described three different prompting techniques that you can use in order to improve the reliability of the outputs. So some of them we already know about. One of them is... I'm going to keep these fairly simple because they're, they're slightly more technical. One of them is chain of thought prompting, which is the technique of asking the the model to explain his reasoning before it kind of gives you the answer. So talk through its steps, equivalent to asking a student to show it's working. That's something that's been around and been known by researchers for a while. Another one of the techniques was um, to where, where, where we had few shot prompting. So the idea of in your initial input prompt, you give it a couple of examples or a few examples of the sort of response that you're after or what, what good looks like. So you might put, here's, you might be a question and answer and you give it several examples of questions and answers and the format and it will stick to that. Well, they've taken a step further and created something called dynamic few shot prompting, which is slightly more technical and requires the use of an embeddings model in order to be able to identify the best examples for your few shot prompts. Um, but that was a great technique for improving uh the the quality of the outputs uh yeah and then there was um a third technique which this one's this feels like a slight cheat right but it's basically where you repeat the prompt several times and then you get the answers from the outputs look across those for the ones where the answer is the most consistent and that's that's your kind of winning response as it were so it's not right. like you're just asking it for one output you're you're basically running the the prompt several times and where you notice that there is a consistency in the output that is the output
0: that you should be going with i did read a research paper that i am not qualified to understand and will probably do a terrible job of explaining but one of the things that I learned was when a large language model has the ability to theorize what is the likely best answer. So in other words, if behind the scenes, it can come up with five or 10 answers to your query and it has some model or mechanism for ranking the quality of those answers and then choosing the one that's the most appropriate, the quality of the answers that you get is going to improve in general. So... It sounds to me like a, a way of achieving that, but without actually having to have the model do it in the background, because you're basically forcing it to do it. And so definitely there was something in that paper about outlining the logic about why that would work so well. Um, I think it's interesting, this story as well, because they they used this med prompt strategy with GPT-4, didn't they? And its score on the MLU went up to like 90 plus percent, which was better than google's gemini ultra having previously had it reported that ultra had beaten gpt4 and it does make me reflect when i look at a lot of the scores and a lot of the benchmarks it's like gpt4 79.6 gemini ultra 80.1 and it's like how statistically relevant is that difference and when we see stories like this where the quality of the prompting increases the score you get on the test More potentially than the model, are we in a law of diminishing returns in terms of? Once we're at eighty-eight percent, and we get to ninety percent, and then we get to ninety-one percent, how much better and how much more usable is that? I don't know because I'm not an expert, but I think it's a good question. Particularly
1: at the the front end for the user, right? Because these techniques that it's talking about here. You can't really do through the likes of chat gpt you can do them through the api and clever stringing together there's some engineering and pipeline workflow elements and kind of sequencing of the prompting that you need to do in order to get these outputs um i don't think you can just run it in chat gpt and get this out so for most users this this isn't really super relevant
0: yeah it's I think the thing I take away from this is GPT-4 was good. Gemini Ultra is probably good. But until they figure out how to better understand user intent, the quality of the prompt is still going to be quite an important part in terms of getting a good output. And I think there will continue to be clever prompting techniques that can enhance your ability to get a good result, some of which are completely unexpected and nobody knows why they work. Um like our next story actually Martin on um how to make Claude 2.1 a bit better not a bit better actually a lot better a significant
1: uh, amount better again simple prompting technique so this was a paper that was published by Anthropic following the announcement of Claude 2.1 and that massive 200k context window which is about 500 pages of text so with all of that context available to you you want to be able to have reliable recall of the information from within that context and that's something that has proven to be quite inconsistent gregory camera who is a, a large language model enthusiast has created this test it's a needle in a haystack test where he inserts a random sentence somewhere into the middle of a long document and then asks the model to uh, give him an answer that relates to that that random sentence the team at anthropic used that test to try to see the recall capabilities of this 200k context window uh, with claude 2.1 and they found and th- this is just bonkers right so in the In the base test, so with no clever engineering, just trying to run this test, the model's performance was 27% accurate. So really not very good at all. Barely better than one in four times it was getting it right. However, if they did a simple prompt adjustment, they basically added to the start of the clawed assistance response. So they made the Claude Assistant's response start with, here is the most relevant sentence in the context, colon. And then, got it to retrieve the answer, performance improved to 98% accuracy. It's an astonishing turnaround. So even at the... Basically, performance drops off as you put that sentence, the, the kind of mystery sentence further into the document and you put it into the middle. It starts to get really, really bad at perf- um, being able to effectively recall that. But just putting that at the start of the prompt was an absolute game changer in terms of performance.
0: Yeah, it's, it's fascinating because... So to like put this in some context for practical usage, one of the awesome things about Claude... Um, that's better than any model in my hand certainly even better than GPT-4 is summarizing documents but that can include um, uh, company earnings reports it can be long call transcripts for internal calls or customer research interviews or you know whatever you can think of and if you can't trust the outputs of those summaries well then you've got to go read the thing yourself and definitely I've learned I've seen Claude two point one be significantly better when I give it a random call transcript and ask it to summarize the key items from the call and the actions. It does way better. But as you said, Martin, it's shown that for very long bits of information, it's good at remembering the beginning and the end, but it doesn't it can't find things in the middle and remember to output those. So if a simple one sentence prompt can have that type of improvement, there's practical ut- utility right there in terms of being able to trust it with those types of applications. If
1: anybody wants to play around with this, the Claude chat bot is not the way to go. I think try using it in the, in the API console, because within the API console, you can actually edit the assistant's response. So you can put at the start of that, here is the most relevant sentence in the context and make sure that it always starts its response with that and give it all of that context beforehand.
0: Yeah. Talking about the uh, API and the console, Claude have recently released their kind of cool Claude for Google Sheets. Well, I think, haven't they? So you can, a little bit like some of, I think we've spoken about it on the podcast before. There are some Google Chrome plugins floating around that allow you to basically prompt different models, GPT-4 and Claude included, as cells in a spreadsheet. So why is that useful? Well, in back in the day, we don't do this anymore, but for an example, Martin and I used to copy paste the URLs of interesting stories that we found through the week into a Google Sheet in column A. Column B would automatically format a prompt about those stories and then column c would actually send that prompt to claude and have claude write a summary of the story for us to um, use as inspiration for creating the script for the podcast and of course you can then automate and do clever things off the back of that but now claude's basically anthropic have made a tool dedicated to doing that with claude is that right have i understood that right mine
1: yeah that's exactly right and they've i um, given some examples of Claude for Sheets prompting. So you can use it for long form document Q&A, information extraction. You can use it for removing personally identifiable information. So if you've got that in a, a spreadsheet, we'll take that out and, and edit it out. A uh, customer support chatbot using FAQs, an academic tutor prompt chaining. They even have function calling capabilities now as well, which they announced as part of Claude 2.1. Uh, There's a whole resource available online, Uh, they've got a Claude for Sheets Prompting Examples workbench where you can actually go and uh, give it a a whirl.
0: So if you are looking to get a bit more gangster in your um, AI usage and you're trying to think about clever multi-step sequences or processing lots of information in one go but using the power of AI it's probably worth going and uh, having a little play and understanding what this new Sheets capability can do. Right, next story, we're going to be talking about Meta's AI image generation tools. So Meta's getting in on the uh, image generation with their Imagine with Meta AI tool, which utilizes uh, an image synthesis model trained on over 1.1 billion images from Facebook and Instagram. Uh, which is not an insignificant amount of data and of course why we look at a lot of the companies outside of open ai who have huge treasure troves of data to fuel training their models on and this is a great example of of meta stroke facebook stroke instagram doing exactly that um what the tool will do is it will allow users to generate unique images from written prompts um, which was a feature that was previously embedded only in social apps like Instagram. It's kind of interesting in that the model's been trained on a vast array of sort of public social media images. That's a bit of a, a little bit of an ethical minefield. What are your thoughts on that?
1: Those terms and condition sheets that we've all signed up to when we signed up for Instagram and Facebook all those many years ago. Uh, And the idea that, you know, Facebook can use our data if it wants to well, we're now seeing the the fruits of um of that terms and conditions authorization, I guess. Yeah. So, have you used it? It's available only in the US, but is available via VPN. Have you given it a try?
0: I haven't played with it directly, but I've seen a number of side by side comparisons where people feed the same prompt into Dolly, three, Midjourney, Meta. Why have you played? I have. And yeah, I'm impressed. I think it is one of the
1: better models out there. Certainly for a first release from a company, you know, this isn't V3. This is their kind of opening gambit on the market. They've done a really solid job. I prompted it with the Northern Lights in the skies above the city of Derby. And I chose the city of Derby because no other model can get you know there isn't loads of photos of an AI black skyline skyline, right yeah like you know parochial provincial towns right they're not well known for their vast quantity of training data in these things and actually it did a really good job to the point where when it generated the images all it generates four at a time and all four of them were very very similar but I immediately went oh that nearly tricked me into thinking that skyline was was derby. Um but I've used it for other things, you know, the kind of classic panda riding a bicycle kind of thing. And yeah, it does a really good job. I think they've they've absolutely nailed it. I think it's supposed to be particularly good for um you know selfie style images as well, which wouldn't be a massive surprise given that it was trained on Instagram.
0: Right. Is it what's his photorealism like? Yeah, I haven't gone. I haven't gone deep into
1: the the different styles. Um, I think there's always that there. There is. I haven't seen it be truly photorealistic. Um, which I think almost has gone from Dali three. That capability now. There's. There's very much a. Style, I think, with with Dali three. It it has its own aesthetic which has been impressed upon it it almost seems like no matter what i ask it for i'm i'm getting a very similar look and feel but uh, with this model i think um i've they've done a
0: a really good job i can't get photorealism out of doorly three for love no money now it's um i wonder if a little bit's of it's the deep fake aspect right like it almost avoiding being photorealistic so it's just five percent off looking real so that anybody who looks at it's going to go well that's ai generated uh yeah I, well, I can only i can only really get good stuff out of Midjourney still yeah yeah and for photorealism
1: i still think the the images that you get from dali are very good i've created some fantastic images on there recently that i've used in various applications um but if you want photorealism there's that not even uncanny valley it's just there is a there is something that looks like it's computer-generated. It's something that's slightly softer.
0: Yeah, I think it's softer, and there's a there's a feeling of lack of imperfections. I can't really describe it. Like, the people's mm-hmm. faces don't look like photos. They look like what I would imagine a computer game in 2050 looks like, right? Like, the computer-generated images on it are so good as to almost look real, but without the imperfections that real humans have. Uh, Not on this podcast, obviously, but the other humans. Yeah, the rest (laughs) of the 8 billion out there. (laughs) Oh, crumbs, if only that were true. Um, There's some other cool stuff on the uh, AI image, meta, Instagram, Facebook, Mary Anderson. And And, um, what we're seeing here is
1: that they're starting to incorporate some of the models that we've spoken about in previous episodes, and they're launching these into consumer applications so they've just announced a new feature on instagram called backdrop it's available only in the us at the moment again those of us in the uk and europe will just have to uh, rest our souls in patience um this model takes the segment anything model which we talked about a while ago this is basically a computer vision model which can basically it does like clip paths around object identification but it can do that at a really impressive scale and it uses that to to remove the background and then you can put in any background that you want so it was similar to what we've seen on things like clip drop and you know back any kind of ai tool that uses background remover but they've incorporated the segment anything model and a model called emu uh so yeah this is uh the actual rollout and commercialization of some of their research tools into the Instagram platform.
0: Yeah, I quite like that because we did talk about that segment, anything model, I don't know, six months ago, maybe, you think. Mm, yeah, yeah, it would about take. That. So what that would imply is that it could take six months to see some of these research papers make it into products, which is not that long, really, when you think about it. As an ex-scientist, I get particularly excited about the segment anything although whether it can really segment stuff in um, biological images like um, images taken of cells or you know biopsy samples is is another question but a major part of biological research and pathology when you're doing analysis of a, of a you know like a cancer biopsy sample is image analysis and segmentation where you have to highlight the interesting part of the image which I, you know there are, have been ai tools that have emerged and they are really rather good but when i did my phd many me- years ago you had to pretty much do that manually which took hours i think i've i've definitely spoke spoken on linkedin about taking pictures of lots of fruit fly eggs with uh, fused dorsal appendages and having to count them by hand and spend a good part of about 10 to 14 days 10 hours a day at the microscope So you could probably automate in about two hours um But it's kind of cool because we talk a lot about marketing and sales. And I know most of the people who are listening, they love marketing sales. And that's why they're listening to the podcast. But, well, I do get excited about some of the image analysis capabilities that some of these tools are going to enable. Next story is about um, looking at which is is capable of running more persuasive um, sort of advertising campaigns, humans or ChatGPT. So, in a recent study by MIT, where they partnered with a top consulting firm, they were trying to figure out who could create the most persuasive content. Um, And there was also a test where it was like AI only, humans only, or AI and human working together. And the research focused on creating content for five retail products and five campaign topics using both professional content creators and ChatGPT. Uh, Over 1,200 online participants evaluated the content and they were assessing it for things like satisfaction, willingness to pay, how interested in it they were, how persuasive they found it, and they were categorized into groups with varying levels of awareness about the content's origin. So whether or not they knew it came from a human or an AI or from the two working together. And the key findings were that when content was either created solely or ultimately determined by ChatGPT, it actually scored higher in quality across satisfaction willingness to pay and persuasion metrics compared to purely human generated content so that's interesting finding number one when participants knew the content was made only by humans they perceived it as being of higher quality very uh what's elon musk's statement very uh, very, uh, no, not Elon Musk. Elon Musk was the species, wasn't he? He was very pro-human. I'm pro-human as well, but it shows the rest of us are quite pro-human. When we know that humans have made it, we think it has higher quality. Although it's for, it's worth highlighting that when people knew it was AI, it didn't diminish the quality of, of what people felt they saw. It was just, if they knew it was humans, they thought it was better. The quality gap itself was actually, um, narrower between AI and humans for um, product advertising and campaign messages, um, which I think probably makes sense. And despite a general favoritism towards human-generated content for both products and campaigns, there was no consistent aversion to AI-included bits and pieces. So that's pretty interesting. I think it fits in with this whole, is creativity the last bastion of human endeavor? And this is another... Potential piece of data that says, "Working together, we do the best stuff." What do you think, mine? Well, it certainly goes to
1: show that AI naysayers—the people who say, "Oh, it can't write good copy"—shows um shows they're wrong. But I think we've already seen this with other research studies that came out recently about the creativity of GPT four, and that it's actually it's as creative or more creative than most people. Um, And I think that's, it's probably not as good as the, in, like in this example, for instance, I would love to see the, the best copywriters in the world (laughs) pitched against GPT-4. I would well imagine that the best copywriters are better still, um, but against the average kind of copywriting team or, or marketing team. GPT-4 can perform as well or better than those. Um but again doing it in conjunction with humans uh is where we see strong results. So I think there's uh, nobody's going to be completely out of a job just yet. In fact there was a something I read this week where some big industry AI heads were were saying that 80% of 80% of jobs will be impacted by AI no jobs will be replaced entirely and it's just going to change the way that we all work. And it augment the way that we work, right?
0: Yeah, that definitely fits with my sense. I mean, when you and I are out and about speaking at conferences, we get an asked a version of this question pretty much All the time, yeah. Um, and lo and behold, I was asked seven times when I was at SAPS last week. And I think what you touched on is very much in line with a model that Ethan Mollock talks a lot about. We talk about Ethan a lot on the podcast. I think it was related to the paper they published where Boston Consulting Group had two groups of consultants. One used GPT-4 and one didn't. And in general, the team that used GPT-4 on this fictional project they were working on were faster, more efficient, and there was a higher quality of their outputs. But when you dive a bit into the data it's almost like it squeezed the normal distribution curve of capability. And what I mean by that is, if you're a super expert, you probably didn't see your quality increase that much when you had access to GPT-4. But if you're in the middle of the normal distribution curve, or perhaps, let's say, even a slightly weaker member of the team, it helped accelerate and improve you, the quality of your output significantly. So I do get the sense, to your point, about How would the master copywriters get on against GPT-4? I think they would absolutely smash it out of the war, to be honest. But I think you're right. I think it can help people who don't have 30 years of experience as ninja copywriters. Um, You know, 10,000 hours or whatever it is they say you've got to have of just refining your craft. Maybe with only 500 hours, you can do the output of someone who's had 8,000 hours worth of, of training, which... To a certain extent, certainly in the short to medium term is going to be really, really valuable. I think if you model that out further, I think the super duper Uber experts become even more valuable because now we've got this nice fat middle where everything's much better than it used to be. But then now the bar, the average is higher. And so to stand out above that average, you need the ninjas. And I think it's those super-duper copywriters that will continue to get paid the big bucks because they'll be able to produce the quality of work that even all the rest of us with GPT-4 in hand just won't be able to do. So if you're listening to this and you're thinking, what should I do in the realms of the AI world? Firstly, get to grips with the tools, learn about them, test them, figure out how they can help you be better at what you do. And then continue to invest in developing your domain level expertise to an absolute uber area where it will take, uh, well, hopefully a long time for any AI model to be really, really good at the thing that you've spent ages getting good at because those models are still somewhat generalists. But also,
1: don't be surprised if the model catches up and completely crushes your dreams within six months because that's the brutal reality that we all now live in.
0: So, I don't know if you saw, but I was looking at you, Martin, to say, don't say that, Martin. Don't say it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I do think it could be true, but it is Christmas time.
1: And we're trying to back to my optimist, optimistic approach, because it could be three months. <laughs>
0: yeah, it could be. Oh, Gemini Ultra came out, crumbs. We saw a rumor this week. We weren't going to talk about this, but I think we should. There was a rumor about GPT 4.5 um, floating around the Twitter sphere, wasn't there, Martin? And all the different things that it could do video 3d the 3d i didn't even say 3d what one assume some sort of 3d imagery or can it create um time continuums like who knows what's going on the cost per token was astronomical i don't know how anyone could run a business off the back of it um, but we think it's fake don't we mine but if gpt 4.5 came out and was like even better than um gemini where would we be and when i was like when you sent that to me and i was looking at i was trying to think there's a big challenge at the moment about defining um agi right advanced general intelligence a computer that can do most things better than a human and i read a really interesting take on this that if gpt4 if chat gpt as we will use it today came out 10 years ago we'd be calling it agi Mm. which i which i thought was an interesting and provocative point right It's like the more sophisticated our tools get, the higher we keep raising the bar of AGI to a bar where I feel like the new bar is nobody has to work ever again. That's what I feel like the AGI bar is. Well, which actually chimes somewhat
1: with um, Sam Altman's interview with Time magazine this week. And actually in that he talks about the next... um, the next steps for for ai in terms of productivity and well people having more time and and more freedom to to be able to do what they want because he's you can see that they're clearly thinking at open ai where this is going is it is going to well agents when ai can really effectively execute tasks and everybody goes from having ChatGPT, gpt which in this interview he describes as i can't remember his exact phrase but it was something along the lines of it's a bit rubbish to and he's like you know fast forward a year or two's time everybody's got 10 ais doing tasks for them doing work for them in their pocket 24 hours a day seven days a week to five years time when everyone's got hundreds of ais doing hundreds of Pass for them 24 hours a day, seven days a week. and What does that allow you to do from a personal productivity perspective? Uh, and what does that do to the economy?
0: Yeah, that is, I think that's the thing that keeps, I think that's probably what keeps people up who are in these circles more than AI accidentally turns the universe into paper clips because it's been told to make the best paper clip but wasn't given any common sense briefing instructions and so just keeps churning them out until the universe is all paperclips or terminator right i think it's how does it affect the economy when the main force of the economy is still human labor we're still paid to work what happens when you unshackle output from human input in
1: an interview a few months ago talked about economic destruction that was the, that was the phrase
0: he used with a- AGI, that's but always times. Sometimes, though, you know, like if there's a if there's a fire in a forest, sometimes that's needed because some of the dead trees, you know, they're destroyed. It gives a chance for the saplings to grow up, and the forest is refreshed. And it probably takes some time, but ultimately, it's a can be a productive and natural process. So, I think it's whether or not he means doom and gloom destruction or creative destruction. Yeah, but it, it'll be doom and gloom. He He wiped out the dinosaurs, right, and allowed the
1: conditions for mammals to flourish, without which we wouldn't be here today. So maybe that's the exciting future we've all got to look forward to. No more dinosaurs.
0: Are you a dinosaur, Paul? Well, that dinosaur uh, turn of phrase could be used in another way, couldn't it, in the the rise of AI. But um, I'm sure when Robot Paul and Robot Martin are talking about how sadly the humans made way for the more evolved, efficient, effective robotic life forms that they gave birth to. I wonder if they'll, um, if, if they'll, uh, feel bad about the humans. Like, do you ever feel sorry for the dinosaurs? It's like, oh, bless them. They got wiped out by a an asteroid, but we did all right out of it. Yeah.
1: Well, I mean, they all just turned into chickens. Well, not all of them. <laughs>
0: uh, um, but yeah, the, um, yeah, look, Ultimately, progress is progressing as it is and um, um, without we get too deep into the weeds of where this all might go, because I don't think anybody really knows either. That's the other thing. All we can do as marketing professionals and sales professionals is um, keep doing the best we can to have an impact, enjoy our work. If these tools can help with that, then, you know, better to be in the gang figuring out how to use these tools, I think, than sticking your head in the sand. Shall we... um, move on to our last couple of stories
1: yeah one that is very much rooted in the world of people who know a thing or two about marketing that is uh mcdonald's and google uh, put out a press release basically announcing that mcdonald's is going to be using google cloud as its main cloud provider and whilst the press release in and of itself isn't particularly interesting. In the headline it did talk about generative AI, so that's what turned me onto it. And um in the press release they say, through this new partnership, a dedicated Google Cloud team in Chicago will work in close proximity to McDonald's global innovation center, known as Speedy Labs. Together, they'll focus on applying generative AI across a number of key business priorities to power exciting new experiences for crew and customers, with McDonald's unmatched convenience and value. Now, we know McDonald's likes data and digital innovation. When they introduced their self-service kiosks, they were reported to have increased order size by 30% and order value by 20%. Um, I heard something the other day that said they found that men, when using kiosks, uh, about 20% Twenty percent more or something. Order two burgers as opposed to one, because
0: <laughs> they don't have to say to someone at the desk, "Oh, you Jim," know, because they're thinking a person thinking I'm a proper fat They're judging me. They're judging me.
1: Yep. Um, so that increases average spend. So we know that they're they're into their their data and how digital can transform the customer experience. It got me thinking when. You've got those kiosks and those digital displays and people are using the My McDonald's reward to connect their data in real time to this digital display. So the display knows exactly who you are, knows everything about you. It's hooked up to the cloud. The potential for generative AI to come up with personalized interactions there is really quite remarkable you can imagine it from personalized menu options which in and of itself isn't particularly exciting to avatars that you know almost like hey gen style avatars that will take your order in real time whether or not people need that and actually just tapping on the burger that you want and the you know hammering the plus sign till you get to the relevant number of burgers that you desire in your in your takeout Um, whether that's the way to go about it or not, I don't know, but yeah, just made me think about the potential here. This is obviously a big deal, right? McDonald's has huge amounts of customer data on their My Rewards app, plug that into Google Cloud and bring that down into a digital interface where people are actually spending their cash. Um, you can, you can see there could be quite the uplift in average customer order.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. The first thing is, thank you for the strategy to go and order more burgers without feeling like I'm being judged because that was an application I needed in my life and I'm definitely taking away from this conversation. The other thing is, I think on the podcast, we try to go into as many first order impacts of things as we can. And occasionally we get a bit deeper into second order impacts, right? But the smart people are playing these things out right they're like well if this enables this and this enables this and this enables this how do they all come together to impact my business right if you are McDonald's, how does the ability to leverage all the data you have on customers combined with synthetic humans combined with predictive modeling to know exactly what type of thing people are going to order combined with tests in, using generative ai tools that make the um, outlay of the screen and everything ever more persuasive to get you to buy more? Like, How do all of those things come together to influence your business? And like I say, there'll be people smarter, certainly than me, modeling those out. And I think they will potentially end up being the unexpected success stories of where AI gets used in a way that we probably, as marketers, we're thinking, yeah, I can write blog posts and social posts, and now I can um, turn martin's voice and from his voice into a strict older woman but what how do these things that's a callback to a previous episode as well so if you think what the heck is he talking about you'll have to listen to episode 35 i think it is um but i think it's going to be the ones that figure out how to connect that stuff to do unexpected things that drive a lot of commercial value and perhaps that's what mcdonald's play is here
1: multivariant testing right something where you can run lots of different examples of an interface or a scenario or what have you and you see this they do market testing of different burgers across the different country right to see what's going to land well well when you can have as we discussed earlier google gemini is able to in real time dynamically update the user interface elements that applies to that kiosk where it is doing multivariant testing on Names of products or combos of, of meals, dynamically creating different mix and match menu items or what have you. And it's doing this all autonomously, doing, you know, A-B testing, market testing, real time on steroids like never seen before. That's, yeah, that's that's going to be more impactful on business than me speaking like a strict older woman.
0: Hmm. Depends. What, in what context that is. You, but I agree, okay, I guess. Yeah, I do agree with you. and, look, and honestly, only if friends. I got if I got up to a McDonald's. Moving um, on, if I got to McDonald's kiosk, if had facial recognition and it knew who I was, and I didn't have to press eighteen button presses to get the meal that I order ninety five percent of the time, I know some people would find that a bit like invasive, but personally, I'd be like brilliant just saved me eight minutes of pressing the wrong buttons just pop up synthetic person says hi paul how you doing do you want your do you want eight burgers three chips and uh, 16 tubs of mayonnaise and i'm like yeah just like last time the family they're all yeah the extended family they're all they're just yeah so yeah i'd be up for that but yeah i think you're right that multivariate testing would be be interesting anyway we better move on so at the hour mark give or take and we've got one more story Um, It is about an open source model called Mistral. So Mistral is a French company that um, received another round of funding this week. Um, I think they're only about six months old, but the latest round of funding puts their valuation at the $2 billion mark. So they're another example of money rushing into the AI space into certain areas. But why are Mistral interesting? Well, they're interesting for a number of reasons, but this week they became even more interesting when they released their new model, which is Mixtral 8 x 7B, which is a mixture of experts model. So it's pretty cool because it's open source, which we'll come on to why that's important in a moment. But just as importantly, it has beaten. Um, the likes of GPT-3.5 and Meta's Llama 2 on a number of benchmarks. So now you've got a free open source model that doesn't come with all of the limitations that comes with all of the reinforcement aligned models. Um, um, All of the weights of the models are all locked down. You can't change them that you get with, say, GPT-3.5, but you can Now do that with Mixtral 8x7b. It's also interesting that it is a mixture of experts model, which is what people think is the underlying architecture of GPT-4. So rather than just like making a bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger model, that the um, Mixtral 8x7b has this mixture of experts model. It's also got far fewer parameters than GPT-3.5. I think it's about a third, isn't it? martin so yeah 46 billion parameters compared to about 175 billion parameters Mm -hmm. for gpt 3.5 so you get that level of gpt 3.5 performance but about 25 30 of the model size this is important right because model running large models is expensive storing them is expensive if you ever want to be able to run a half decent model on your phone those model sizes are going to need to come down so this is also an example of what happens when um, you come up with clever ways to train really good models, but you compress the information even more so the models are smaller and therefore a bit cheaper to run. The I think the critical aspect of this is it's open source, so you can run it on your own machine. Um, there are still lots of concerns about what happens when you share data with open ai microsoft google like everybody's happy sharing their data with a company until something bad happens and they wish they hadn't so for those that are super paranoid about that the ability to get ever better model performance running on say your own laptop even if it's somewhat slowly unless you've got a super duper powerful um, pc with um, cool gpus in it or a nice powerful mac um, it's going to give people access and open up use cases that you just can't get with the other models. So kind of cool.
1: It is very cool, and I'm always interested to see where the open-source community is going. They had another bonus recently, and so much as the um, EU's AI Act uh, regulation isn't going to cover open-source models uh, in the same way that it's covering the closed models. So, yeah, open-source is having a bit of a good time at the moment they're seeing some really impressive results there's money being invested into the space and uh obviously with big names like meta contributing to the field it's a it's definitely a place that businesses that want to deploy their own models will want to watch that there is the critical factor though companies that want to deploy their own models the use cases for these at the moment for many organizations it it just isn't there so these, these feel like emergent, there'll be some interesting developments in the coming months and years I'm sure, but I think lots of organizations will first and foremost go through the APIs of models like clawed like open AI models um because they've got the power and the heft and they can do what they want out of the box without having to do more technical jiggery pokery
0: yeah it's just it's a, <laughs> Yeah, i mean this is kind of yeah this is mostly still developer interest than yeah. business interest isn't it but a will start to see capabilities emerge that are easier to achieve with the open source models that are hard to achieve probably with the likes of gemini and gpt4 and it's just further evidence of the amount of innovation that's happening in many areas of models with now google in the in the game meta has got its new image model that have come out the video models are improving quickly we've got open source models chasing all of the commercial models and keeping them honest and keeping them developing their technologies so everything is continuing to race ahead Um, at speed and um, the irony was we were going to make a joke about those of you that are waiting to um, sign up for chat gpt plus and still waiting for gemini ultra to come out that maybe the best model you could get your hand on hands on was actually a free open source model for mistral but uh, for those of you who've been trying to get chat gpt plus and didn't see the news this week they opened up subscriptions again As of the 13th of December. So if you've been waiting to get one of those. Now is the time to go get it. And with that Christmas present. For those of you that wanted that model. And just hadn't been able to get hold of it. I think um, we shall say. Have a wonderful Christmas break. We're probably going to do. A special edition episode. Just before Christmas. um, But we'll get back to reporting the news. And having all of the interviews. That you've known. uh, Come to know and love starting at the beginning of the year 2024 next year have a fantastic christmas break martin same to you um and i will look forward to speaking to you soon merry christmas everyone thank you for listening to artificially intelligent marketing to stay on top of the latest trends tips and tools in the world of marketing ai be sure to subscribe We look forward to seeing you again next week.